House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Oh, welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Michael Butterfield is the co-host today. Hi, Al. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. I was going <laughs> I was going to call you Rodney. <laughs> Rodney Butterfield. No, cuz <laughs> the last interview we were talking about uh Rodney Dangerfield. So all of a sudden I just had his name on. <laughs> well, that's not the worst person to be mistaken for. So, but, no. Yeah. I'll no. answer to Rodney if you need me to, but you know. No, I don't think so. I think, <laughs> okay. I think we can get by without that, you know, or anything mm-hmm. like that. And, and I can't, you know, uh, but before we get the guest on, I, I just, I can't get over the, uh, uh, are you doing the TikTok thing? No, I, you know, I am one of those, uh, uh, mechanically and technically challenged people. So I don't even have apps on my phone. So I don't, don't do anything like that. I barely know what TikTok is. So. Well, geez, you know, and they, they, well, they have these tick, TikTok trends, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's like something that people think is a trend, and it and it gets it catches on, and everyone's doing it, and uh, you know they've had some real weird ones, and then they, uh, and now there's there's a couple of them, and one I just can't get over because it's called uh, vabbing. It's called what? Vabbing. So vabbing? with a V. V as in V A B B I N G, like okay. dabbing, but with a V. Dabbing. Oh, okay. And can you guess what it is? No. <laughs> well, they're saying that what you got to do is you can't use uh, perfume or cologne to attract a mate. Mm. Instead, you got to take your finger and dab it in your vaginal. And then rub it on the pulse points, like your back of your ears, your wrists, all that stuff. And they call it vabbing. And you'll go to the bar, and you'll have at least ten men hanging around you. <laughs> God, that's a real thing. That's a real thing. I'm, we're talking, <laughs> we're talking thousands and thousands. Or this is a, a big. This was the number two trend last week on uh, on them. So we've got a couple hundred thousand people doing this thing. And, so the and, way that the you know yeah. pheromones and the way we've been doing it for thousands of years wasn't good enough. <laughs> no, it was something just, else. Yeah, and and I was thinking, you know, I'd be at the bar, and you'd know the girls that are doing this because they'd be the ones with all the flies laying around. <laughs> but I didn't, you know, I wanted to say that. But then I knew I was on another show, and they asked me, and I said, "Listen, you know, that's just I buy you a drink, lady, but." Uh, there's too many flies around you. Um, but apparently this will make men go crazy. Okay. Mm. So now, you know, so if you ever, so you find yourself walking into a, into a bar or a restaurant or a tavern and you, you've uncontrollably are attracted to some female <laughs> across the bar. Now, you know why they, they're vabbing. Mm. So, you know, okay. and, now, and now the number one trend was even weirder because it's um, making yourself look like you've been crying. So, so that people will feel sorry for you and approach you. Yeah. The latest trend is that now they've got makeup and tips to make yourself look like you've been crying all day before you go out. So you, you do stuff with your face and your hair and then you go out to the club or to the restaurant and it looks like you've been crying all day. And that's the latest look. Hmm. So, Sounds like something to avoid to me, but <laughs> well, I always look like I'm crying. <laughs> Does it work for you, Al? Is... No. In fact, people turn the other way. It's, yeah, it's, 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 that it's would not, be my concern. Yeah, I can't even get on the bus for free when I do that. I don't know, but that's just anyway. I just thought I'd pass that on. I think it's serious information we need to know. That was a great public service. Thanks, Al. That, that, that's what I'm all about. Doing the better for humanity, because if I don't do it, who will? And I learned something new. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. So now, yeah, when you're in, the, yeah, well, we won't talk about that. that that's good. Um, anyway, so now today we are, um, I have a return guest here, uh, Mr. Uh, Robert Crane, Jr., 
And he's going to be talking about, uh, of course, his book and about writing and about life and all sorts of stuff and about his father, uh, of course, Rob, uh, Bob Crane or Robert Crane. I always kind of. Um, so let's just say, hey, how are you doing, Robert? Great. Great to uh, talk to both of you. And uh, I, I wish I had known about vaping when I was going to bars and stuff in my 20s. <laughs> wow. Well, now you do. You can, <laughs> you, yeah. It's just, it's too late. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Too Where were you before, Al? Come on. <laughs> yeah, well, sorry. I, I I, got so much. I can only handle so much. You know, I just can't. I can't get it. Ah, oh, it's crazy. So, so listen, um, how, how have you been lately, Bob? Like, what's been going on? It's been a few years. I think we talked to you um, when you were with um hook there oh yeah uh, f- a few times and i think i've talked to you another time when you were without him and all yes. that so it's always so what goes on in your life now are you still sort of does does your father's murder still sort of um play in your life every single day is it something you think about and something you still want to know more about yes on all of those um yeah, usually, a, you know, a day doesn't go by when something reminds me of them or, I, uh, you know, I'm always reminded every June 29th when I, we all found out he was murdered. I, I, and that's two days after my birthday, so I can't get it out of my mind. My, I'm always talking to my wife, Leslie, about remembering, uh, most of the time they're bad things, just about people's deaths and, you know, negative things. But, I remember this stuff for some reason. I, I, I don't know why. And of course, my dad's uh, murder looms large and uh, completely changed me and my family. And, uh, you know, one day it's little suburbia, Tarzana, California, uh, or as TV Guide called it, the unfashionable Tarzana, California. And uh, the next day it's just, uh, it's like an explosion went off and you were totally unprepared for it, ill-prepared, unprepared, because uh, you had no idea uh, that anything like this, this was something that happens on the news. You know, you watch about other people's tragedies or uh, during Vietnam, you know, for me uh, being a teenager and then into my 20s watching uh, Cronkite, talk about, you know, the death toll for the day. And that was always somebody else, you know, and the, the guys, the young guys coming home to their families, you know, in a basket. And uh, But when it happens to you, finally, it's uh, bizarre. And uh, again, I, we were not prepared at all. And since then, my, of course, I've written about it, um, but my family has never sat down, talked about it. Uh, my mom is small town, Connecticut, uh, woman where you just, you know, well, tomorrow's another day. Just keep moving on and, you know, move forward. And so we didn't have that, that magical family moment, you know, where we're all holding hands and, uh, singing a song or something together that, that never happened and will, will never happen. So, and she hasn't even read my book about this. So, now, some people may not be familiar with what happened and with your father's history. Do you want to tell us a little bit about him and what happened? Sure. And and to get back to your question, too, Alan, I, and I'm aware of this now. The years are going by, you know, it, except for uh, Hogan's Heroes reruns, which are somewhere playing every day. Um, the memory now of this murder, uh, except if you're in Phoenix, uh, Michael and, you know, other people, uh, which was a big case there. Um, it, it is less and less and less and less and going away. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, on, I top that. That, on top of that, because I did uh, for the publishing thing, um, a book on uh, mysterious celebrity deaths and some of the ones yeah. that I thought were the most unique. Yeah. And, and of course there's like Princess Diana and then there's, uh, Natalie Wood and all that. Yeah. And I picked, uh, your father as one of them too. 
And um, when I did the little bit of touring on that and people would ask questions, most of them didn't know who he was. Yeah. 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 Which yeah. is like, it, it just blew me away. I was like, what do you mean? And they go, well, who's Bob Crane? Yeah. What do you mean who's Bob Crane? Yeah. It it happens. We're all getting older in that generation. It's like I, I uh, besides writing, I had a stint with uh, the late John Candy, a great actor, comedian. And it's the same thing now with John. John's coming up on 30 years uh, since he died. And some a lot of people, you have to go, you know, you have to remind them, Uncle Buck, you know, planes, trains, and automobile. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it all, everything moves on. Um, but uh, to kind of do this full circle on your, on your question again, Alan, it, it moves on, but it doesn't. You know, if it happens to you and your family, it, it as far as I'm concerned, I'll speak for myself, it doesn't move on. But you just have to... Uh, you know, keep living and try to find some good things out there and uh, have some laughs and some good dinners. So it's strange that for me to hear you say that because when I was growing up, uh, when your father was killed, I, it was right at that time that I was watching Hogan's Heroes every day after school. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he was in the Disney movies and he appeared yeah. in, you know, the occasional TV dramas and things like that. He was very well known to me. Yeah. And, you know, the news of his death was was shocking. So I can understand how some people who don't live in Arizona may not have heard of it. But, you know, he's definitely still a presence yes. know, on TV. Well, and the I think uh, part of that presence, at least back then, like when you were uh, watching the show, um, back in the old days. And here's another thing, you know, you talk to people today with their cell phones and every uh, imaginable channel in the world. That was the day of three networks in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, ABC, CBS, and NBC. Three networks. That's it. Mm-hmm. So when it, when a show hit like Hogan's, thirty million people a week are watching Hogan's. Thirty yeah. million. It's like yeah. wow. And now you get a show on which uh, you know, uh, well. Trying to think of one in particular, you know, like I've been watching Hacks on, uh, I think it's on HBO with, uh, Gene Smart and I'm mm-hmm. enjoying the show. But then you, you hear the viewership or read about the viewership, you know, and they, they get two million people watching it. Yeah. And they're happy. Each, well, we have a hit here at HBO, you know, two million <laughs> people are watching. Really? Wow. So yeah. So that kept my dad and a lot of other people, you know, uh, a lot of the stars of that day kept them in business for a long time. Uh, but, yeah, now it's just so splintered on uh, so many channels and so many shows. It's like, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard for an old guy like me to keep up with it. Now, I was born on June 27th as well. No way. Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. Cancer's yeah. a crab. Yeah. Cancer's, yes. Yeah. I think you're a few years older, but. Because I just, I had just turned sixty my last birthday, so. Oh yeah, I am. Yeah, you're you're a youngster. <laughs> youngster. You know, when does that ever end? Because it does. It seems like every time I get older and older and older, you hit forty. Oh, you're still a puppy. You hit fifty. <laughs> oh, you're still a baby. Don't worry yeah. about it. Hit sixty. Oh, you're still a youngster. Like, like, what, when does that end? Like, you turn ninety. Oh, yeah. you're old. <laughs> no, it's it's all about how you conduct yourself, Alan. You know, and you're you got stuff going on. You're vibrant. I see you on the cover of Books and Buzz. You're a young, vibrant chap. So uh, as long as that is going, you're young. You know, it's when you, I see people on television on the news, and they identify the person and the age, and I go, "Are you kidding me? I'm older than that person. That person looks twenty years older than me." So I, I think it's how you uh, conduct yourself and, and you know, yeah. get a little exercise in there and yeah. eat right and all that good stuff. You, you know, with your dad, um, i tell you what turned him on about me or why I was turned on about it. I loved his radio work. Oh, yeah. You see, yeah. that was that was like ultimate. Like he was doing 
what we were dreaming to that, that we wanted to do. Yeah, and he had and such this, a great voice. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And he, but, but he had that. He was doing like what was in my mind when I'm laying in bed as a young kid. Uh, he was doing the old, uh, you know, it was almost like a comedy thing. You know, he's talking yeah. and all of a sudden it stopped with the music and it's like, you got to smoke. Yeah, I got to smoke. And the, it was just so loose. I loved it. I loved yes. the, I, that, that was just, that, that turned me on far more than Hogan's Heroes did. Yeah. I was just for me because yeah. I'm a radio yeah. guy and that was just it. Like he was, he was, um, an idol as a radio guy, not as much as Hogan's Heroes for me. Yeah. The, the two, in my mind, it's always been like this. The two things that my dad was born to do was radio and then getting the lucky break and being Hogan, uh, mm-hmm. Cole Hogan. Uh, but radio, I was just talking to my wife and my brother-in-law the other day about this, as a matter of fact, because I was fortunate enough to, uh, and then my parents were still together, uh, to take the ride with him from unfashionable Tarzana down to Hollywood at G- Gower and Sunset, where the uh, CBS uh, radio was in L.A. And we'd get there. The show went on 6.05 in the morning live. Uh, I would get my cup of hot chocolate down in the lobby because I was a teenager, and that was a highlight for me. And then we'd take the elevator up. Uh, music's already playing. He's got an engineer in another room who played music and commercials. In my dad's own studio, he had a drum set. He had three turntables. He had, this is all pre-digital, of course. This is, uh, 1956 to 65 mm-hmm. in LA. He's got a, a, we call it a horse collar that he wore with the microphone so he could stand up, he could swivel, he could jump around and, you know, the mic's right there. He had a headset on and he had uh, records, uh, the old vinyl, which is coming back. Um, and then he would, uh, no script, all off the top of his head, depending on what's going on that day in the news or whatever, or celebrities. And he would queue up a, I'll give you an example. Uh, one of his uh, sponsors was Hertz, Hertz Renicar. So Jack Chapman, the engineer, is playing the Hertz spot. Uh, might have been on cartridge. And then right in the middle of it, my dad does the cut sign and the sound of a auto crash. And then it goes back to the commercial. <laughs> so this and the auto crash is on disc. My dad is playing that. The commercial is on, like I said, perhaps cartridge that Jack is playing. And he would do things like this just off the top of his head. And then in that uh, case, uh, Hertz got all over him. They were not happy about that. Uh, but in other cases, sponsors loved when he, you know, made it a unique spot. Uh, they they really dug that. Well, Hertz, so that was... O.J. Simpson and <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, <laughs> they made yeah. some good shape tra- choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was uh, that would have been pre-O.J. Yeah, but yeah, point. Well, but might... but I would take the ride down with them at ninety miles an hour. No chauffeurs, no assistants, no nothing. Uh, it's my dad driving his his Cadillac, and we get down there, and it's a four-hour show every day. Uh, Monday through Saturday, and I'm a teenager, so when I hear that one of his guests in the last hour is going to be, you know, Vic Morrow from Combat, oh, uh, if, I, if I didn't have to go to school that day, I went with him, you know, to meet this person afterward and go, I Mr. Morrow, you know, looking up at him and being a <laughs> jerk, but uh, that, that was a fun thing for me, and then it's over at 10 o'clock in the morning. And it was dark when you went in there, and now you come out of the studio and go downstairs, and, you know, it's sunny or whatever, and uh, it was like a full day. But I loved – I would probably put radio number one as far as his talent, and then uh, Hogan's uh, number two. So did you know – as a kid, like, cause you're a kid and you're having fun, you know, dad's doing well. He's, 
a celebrity and you got stuff going on and this is a great time and um, all of that. Did you know what adult activities and what things he was up to um, in his private life or was this totally all kept from you until after after the fact? I, as a young kid and then teenager, I knew that my dad loved women just the way he would, you know, meet I, any situation, friends. I don't mean groping or any of that, but I could tell he preferred the company of a woman, um, you know, meeting them at a, you know, family uh, backyard barbecue or anything around the set of a, whatever he's filming. or I, I just knew that. I sensed that. I didn't know about all of his activities, extracurricular activities, until uh, I got more of a sense of it in my later teenage years. And then, of course, my parents divorced when I was uh, 18, and that was all because of, uh, I mean, it, he had been with a number of women before that. Um, but that uh, was really broken up with when uh, the marriage was broken up when he met and worked with uh, the woman who played Clint's secretary, uh, Patty Sigurd Valdez. And that, that broke the whole thing wide open. But that had been going on for a number of years with other women. And I've always said I uh, love my dad. Great guy, fun guy, a lot of fun. Probably should not have been married. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, so I wouldn't be alive right now. But anyway, um, yeah. and that was back in the day. Of course, you you did not have kids out of wedlock and all that. So especially if you're a celebrity now, of course, you know, you, know, you can do anything. You can have like, uh, what's that guy? He's having his 11th or 12th kid. Oh, my God. Yeah. That, yeah. Who was that? That, uh, uh, Oh, you know who I mean. He just yeah. he's, he's having more, two more. He just had twins. Yeah. All these different girls and Yeah. Yeah, you needed a scorecard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um so all of this is happening now. Did did you come to any conclusions now after after you've been through the hook and the um the the other books and the other thoughts and you've had some years pass and and all the theories that have been out there and then the carpenter trial and then the, the all this stuff has come and gone and and now you're older and wiser uh, old enough to call me a puppy <laughs> <laughs> um so at this point in your life what's your thoughts on the whole thing looking back at it now well, I, I have two theories about the murder. Uh, one is still Carpenter. Carpenter was there in Scottsdale, uh, Arizona. My dad was doing a dinner theater play. Uh, John Carpenter, not the, not the film director, but the <laughs> Sony and Akai video machine salesperson would hit a town where my dad was playing. And usually, uh, you know, my dad might have a two-bedroom, whatever the arrangement was with the, the theater, you know, two-bedroom apartment or hotel or something like that. And Carpenter thought this was fun. You know, he's hanging out with Bob Crane. They're in wherever, Cincinnati or, uh, you know, uh, didn't matter. And they'd go out at night and uh, party and go to clubs and, meet women and all of that. So uh, my two days before the murder was my birthday and your birthday, Alan. That's right. Um, and I, I talked to my dad on the phone. He was in Scottsdale. I was in Los Angeles. And he said, yeah, this carpenter deal, I'm really making some changes. He, it, By the way, he was in the middle of a divorce from uh, the aforementioned Patty Sigrid Valdez. So he was not living with her anymore. He, in fact, he and I had an apartment together. And uh, he said, yeah, I'm making a bunch of changes, and one of them is Carpenter. I just, you know, he's just really 
being a pain and uh, a real hanger on now. And it, it's not what it was. And I, I want to change this whole thing. And that was two days before he was murdered. So that that's theory one. Carpenter was in town. Uh, he had hung out with my dad for a couple of days in Scottsdale. Theory two, though, is who gained from the murder? Nobody gained anything except financially, and that was Patty, who was in the middle of a divorce with my dad. Uh, you know, there. By the you know, my dad is he's not a millionaire or anything. He's they they're comfortable. They had a nice home in Westwood, uh, California, near UCLA. It's a nice area. Uh, no millionaire by any means, but very comfortable. And I also find out later a couple of uh, insurance policies and stuff like that. The, my sisters and I, from the first marriage, got nothing because we think the will was rewritten by Patty, cutting us out. Hmm. Uh, who else gained from this? I mean, Carpenter lost his buddy, uh, party buddy, uh, I don't see anybody else. And I've never gone with the theories about, uh, you know, a mobster did a hit on your dad. No, the way the murder was committed, uh, and you can, anybody can see photos, you know, Google uh, images of what it looked like. That's not a mob hit. Uh, jealous boyfriend. Nah, same thing. A jealous boyfriend would have gone in there, maybe fist swinging or whatever. It's just not the way it happened, which was two hits on the side of his head with a blunt object while he was asleep. Hmm. But that also narrows it down to someone at this apartment that he was staying at during the run of the, the theater, uh, the theater run, uh, whoever was in that apartment. Oh, but by the way, there's uh, no break in as well. No break in. Hmm. So somebody, whoever's there, he's comfortable with to go to bed and they find him uh, dead the next day in bed. Um, so that really cuts it down. So I, it's, it's Carpenter and Patty, uh, not together necessarily, but uh, those are the two people I've, I've stayed with that all along. And I think we might want to mention for the listeners that what was going on was that your father and John Carpenter were using video equipment to film the women they were having sex with. Yes. And yes. There's yes. some speculation. That's why you said it could be a, you know, angry boyfriend or something. Somebody found out what was going on or someone, a woman who, you know, didn't know they were being filmed and got upset. There's been all kinds of theories about that over the years. But I think you make a good point about, you know, the timing of it and the location of it and things. Yeah. It's indicative of something impulsive yeah. in some ways. Yes. Impulsive. That's, that's a great word. Yeah, absolutely. And let, let me, uh, and again, I, I don't know everything about this. I've never claimed to. I'm just trying to learn as much as I can. But from everything I heard from my dad about videotaping with women, and this is in my 20s. So, uh, you know, I mean, I had a, let me backtrack. I had a very different relationship with my dad than I guess most sons have with their dads. I mean, he took me to the L.A. premiere of Deep Throat. Okay. <laughs> so there's there's a nice father's activity. <laughs> yeah. Other sons, they might go to a ball game or something. My dad mm -hmm. took me to Deep Throat. So that's the kind of relationship we had. But everything I ever heard from him or or saw in later years for me was that you know, video was a new toy back mm -hmm. in the 70s, well, 60s, actually, 60s and 70s. Everybody had their little home unit, you know, and it was still reel-to-reel, -reel, you know, not not even cassette. Yeah. And you had your camera. The camera looked like it. it was so big, it looked like something out of Uzbekistan television in the 50s or something. And um, But like Polaroids, where that was instant. People wanted to see themselves instantly because it was so different. 
So I think it started with Polaroids where you, well, here, take your top off, you know. And then for video, same thing. You do whatever you're doing, um, and you watch it back instantly, like you look at a Polaroid instantly. Um, that was part of the charm. And uh, sorry, long story longer. Um, everything I ever heard about this, it was uh, consensual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As far as my dad told me, no date rape drugs, no you know, tying people up, none of that. That was, it was an instant where you met a woman. By the way, it's also the sexual revolution, 60s and 70s, which uh, Paul Schrader talked about in Autofocus, the film about my dad. Um, I remember uh, Tom Mankiewicz, a writer-director who I interviewed and did a book with, Back, he said, back in the seventies, if you you went out on a date with somebody, and if the date went really well, but you weren't necessarily even going to see each other again, you slept together. That was kind of like a thank you to each other for a great evening, mm-hmm. and then you move on, and you know maybe you see her again, maybe you don't. But that's what was going on at the time. So you add the video part of it and Polaroids to the sexual revolution. And the celebrity part of it, where a woman working at the lounge, you know, sees Colonel Hogan walk in. And it all comes together into this amalgam of uh, sex for the moment, um, no permanent relationships, and uh, video, instant replay, where you can, oh, wow, look at that, you know. And, uh, but again, uh, I heard it was only consensual. I may be wrong. I don't claim to know everything, but uh, it was it was never, you know, it wasn't, uh, well, some of the people in the news now where you're hearing about, uh, you know, guys drugging women and all that kind of thing, that, that was not it. Yeah, and you make a great point, too, that the equipment back then was so enormous, there's no yeah. way you could really hide it. And- no, no surreptitiously film somebody but i you brought up autofocus there and that is a good segue into a question i wanted to ask you about you know there's the movie autofocus with uh, greg kinnear playing yes. your father and i believe yeah. it was willem dafoe playing yes. john carpenter and then there was also that book by robert graysmith mm-hmm. and robert graysmith has been criticized by a lot of researchers and investigators and people involved in the zodiac case because of the fictional excesses of his book about the Zodiac murders. What is your opinion about the book he wrote about your father's case? Well, he he approached me to interview me. I declined, not because I had anything against Robert Graysmith. I didn't know. I was aware of, of, uh, you know, his his other work. I just didn't want to talk about it at that time. Mm -hmm. And then I did buy the book um, and I went through it and I, did a magic marker. Well, people don't know what magic markers are. Uh, what's what's the word now for you know highlighter? Mm-hmm. I did a highlighter on uh, everything that was uh, factually wrong in the book, and I got a lot of highlights in that book. So uh, you know, I, I I appreciate that he wrote it, and I appreciate his work on Zodiac and all of that. And I'm not going to knock him, but uh, a lot of Factual stuff was off. Was that stuff that pertained to your father or the case or everything? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's when I years later I finally decided I, I want to take my swing, and uh, so I, I did my book, uh, which I I talked to Alan previously about uh, with um, a co-writer. I've worked on different things with Christopher Fryer, and we decided to take our shot at this. Uh, whole thing, um, which really evolved into a crime story slash biography slash autobiography. Um, but I, I, and again, I, I hope I got uh, everything as factually correct as possible, but it, it's my memory. You know, it's my point of view. Uh, so I, you can never say it's 100% correct but it's the best you can do. So I'm not, I'm not going to knock Robert Graysmith, but 
yeah, there there were a lot of highlighted stuff in that in that book that it, it just wasn't right. Yeah, what, what would you think? What would you say is the biggest misconception about your father and and the case itself? I mean, you pointed out that you know he wasn't filming women against their will. I think that's an important thing to yeah. to mention. But was there anything else that like in the movie or anything else that you think should be corrected for people to know the get a better yeah. idea about it? No, and I, I I appreciate uh your remark, Michael, about the size of the equipment. That sounds really bad. But you, <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean. The yeah. size of the Sony unit. Let's put it that way. It's not like a cell phone now where you can put your cell phone underneath a table and grab a shot, you know, of a mm. woman. No, you could not do that. It was there. It was huge. So they knew they knew about it. Um yeah. just trying to th- no, I have to say I was uh, very happy with autofocus on, on two levels. Um, I thought Greg Kinnear caught the spirit of my dad and that just kind of lightness where, oh, you know, nothing's ever going to happen to me. I'm just That was my dad. He was positive about everything. Uh, and number two, I, I see autofocus as kind of part two. You know, uh, there was a thing everybody called uh, – double headers or two co-features at a movie theater where he actually saw two films. Mm-hmm. And I would put autofocus with carnal knowledge, Jack mm-hmm. Nicholson, Art Garfunkel, because the, the running theme, uh, carnal knowledge is earlier, and then autofocus, a running theme is this sexual revolution starting and going. And, uh, you know, when, back in the 60s and 70s when – Women were more open and, you know, about talking and doing things and all that. Uh, that played into my dad's, uh, whatever he was trying to achieve with, uh, photographing and videotaping, uh, women, mm-hmm. uh, it is perfect. I mean, I, I don't, I think about if that were happening today, of course it wouldn't because he, he'd be 94. So, but but who knows? Who knows? Um, he'd be working a cell phone, maybe. Um, I, I don't know if he's a a me too. Is that the right group? A me too target or not? Because yeah. of this consensual thing again, as far as I know. Yeah. Um, he didn't. He didn't lure anybody up for you know. And again, with drugs or. Uh, uh, promises in the word of, uh, you know, the, uh, producer who's on trial again, uh, here in LA. Uh, no promises, no drugs. Um, I don't know, but I, I don't think his kind would be very popular today. Let's put it that way. Yeah. 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 He wouldn't be, uh, he wouldn't be part of the, uh, the the in crowd right now no no you know um which is too bad yeah well you know you still see him quite a lot i mean i i'm a fan of the network me tv yes uh, memorable yeah. entertainment yeah and you know he'll, he'll pop up on, on there on the twilight zone the yeah. alfred hitchcock uh, night gallery sure you know he's uh, it seems like it's a regular occurrence to see your father on tv at least yeah uh, on the Me TV uh, channel we have in LA, uh, I think they're playing two Hogan's uh, episodes every night. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see it all over. That's all I do is watch the old yeah. TV. I've got Get TV, H and I, decades, and I've got. I've got <laughs> I'm I'm crazy. Yeah, I'm stuff for us old farts, right? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to say that. <laughs> you know, I'm going through all the old shows. Yeah. You know, um, well, I'm, and I'm still playing the old records too. So I just can't, I can't get out of it. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that interesting too, that you're, if, if I can remember correctly, one of your father's very first credits was playing a disc jockey on the twilight zone. Oh, wow. You've done some research, my man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he did. He did. And that, and that came along because back to Alan's uh, whole thing about radio, Rod Serling, yeah, I, 
I didn't mention this earlier, but at the, the last hour of his show every day, because he's in L.A., he had celebrity guests. You know, mm-hmm. it's a natural. They're they're coming on the show to promote something, and then my dad's doing his bit with them and asking them questions. You know, so it was perfect. And Rod Serling was a guest on the show uh, a couple of times, and probably threw my dad a bone. Hey, you want to do this voice? You know, of course. Are you kidding? Twilight Zone? Sure. And uh, the same thing happened a few years later with um, Carl Reiner, who was mm. writing and producing the Dick Van Dyke show. Which That's right. Yeah. The hottest, you know, comedy show on TV. And uh, same thing. Carl was a, a guest on my dad's radio show. Hey, we have an episode next week that we're taping. It'd be perfect for you because the guy is a flandering husband right up my dad's alley. So <laughs> he did... Uh, an episode or filmed an episode of the Dick Van Dyke show, you know, which everybody saw because it was the Dick Van Dyke show. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a huge hit. Yep. So so do you see anybody from the family now, like in-laws or from the other wives or anything, you know, stepbrothers, brothers, family do, or do you have any sort of family relationship going on right now? Uh, no family re- relationship with family number two. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, we were family number one uh, chronologically. And those are my two sisters, me, my mom. And we've got a, a great stepdad, Chuck, uh, who has been with my mom for 50 years, which is unbelievable, and has held the family together as, as well as he can. And then people from family two – uh, half brother, stepsister. Of course, Patty uh, uh, died in 2007, I think. Um, I don't talk to anybody or see anybody from that side. No. If if you could have known now what you knew then, yeah. right? They, it's so much different. You never wanted to get into the same sort of thing that your dad was in. Oh, acting? No, 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 no. I I watched his energy. And learning lines, and uh, I couldn't do it, but I could observe. I knew I was good at observation and writing things down. So I thought, yeah, I'm going to stay behind the scenes and and write about stuff or interview somebody or, you know. uh, But no, in front of the camera, I, I, as they say, I, I didn't have the chops for it. I just couldn't do it. What What do you think? Is there something that a lot of people still don't know about your dad that you would um, like to tell us, like something that wasn't out there but you thought was good? Oh, wow. I don't know. If, if you're a fan of his, you, you might imagine this or, you know, it's probably not a big surprise. But he was, he was like a big kid. He really was. Um, he just loved to have fun and uh, he loved sports. Um, and uh, we, we used to have a pool league, pool league. We had a little pool at the Tarzana house and my dad and I had a whole schedule and we played baseball in the pool. So he, he would stand on the deeper end where he's still able to stand and throw a little rubber ball. And we had a short bat. So you didn't really swing, take a full swing, but you did a half swing and wherever the ball landed was, you know, a double or a triple or home run, whatever. We played a full schedule. We had a World Series. I mean, I still have the booklet that he wrote. He wrote a column in this thing about what's going on with the teams and all that, you know. Um, I love that part of him. And then on the other hand, as I said earlier, he probably shouldn't have been married. Uh, so yeah, I don't know, you know, how you can do one without the other, but, uh, yeah, it, uh, big kid and lots of fun and optimist, optimist about everything later on in his career when it wasn't going so well, uh, television wise, and he had been in a couple of movies, like Michael said, and they, they weren't anything big. So he was doing a lot of theater but he still kept that optimism every day. You know, he's going to get that call from the agent and work with whoever, you know. Uh, and it happened occasionally, but uh, towards the end, not 
so often. No. What do you think would have happened to him if he didn't uh, tragically get murdered then? Um, where, what do you think he would have ended up doing? Well, I, I go back to Alan's comments about radio. I, I think he would have done a full uh, 360 and gone back to radio. I really do. Um, really? He, he was never, he never played, you know, the music they played uh, of the day. It would, he didn't play rock and roll. He was more, you know, mid, middle stream. So I, I don't know how that would have worked, but I can see him on Sirius XM, uh, you know, like the, the change that, uh, Howard Stern made, you know, from, stations to yeah he he can be hogan stern hogan stern there you go <laughs> yeah no absolutely i but i could see a, a a 360 with that yeah back on the radio he loved it uh he loved being live every day and talking about what's going on you know the elections or sports or whatever so yeah i could see him uh doing that. And he, he did, uh, after his radio show, when he, he couldn't do it anymore because Hogan's was taking off all the time. He couldn't do both. Um, and, uh, but later on he did do armed forces radio. He did a show for armed forces and, um, uh, a couple of specials for, uh, some other local LA stations, uh, which he, he loved. Loved him. Yeah, such a such a sad sad ending, and still so young. Yeah, know? he was uh, two weeks shy of fifty. Um, wow. And you know, I was twenty seven at the time, and I I knew it was young, but I'm thinking, well, you know, fifty. Well, that's a pretty good life. And then two years before that, his dad had died heart attack. And he was 69, and I thought, well, 69, that's a pretty good life. And no, because I've managed to stay alive here. No way. No. Too young. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's crazy. Now, so what are you up to now? Are you Have you been writing anything new or doing anything new? Are you on uh, uh, any strange, uh, are you on a strip show? play or something like what's going on yeah well you just never know like what kind of you know maybe you're a go-go dancer now or something (laughs) no that was never part of my career plans uh no i i have contributed a story which just so happens to take place in arizona about a son and father uh it's called wingding and I've contributed that to a book called Beyond Where the Buses Run, colon, stories, Beyond Where the Buses Run. And uh, we've got some great authors, Joe Coyle, Chris Fryer, the aforementioned, Teresa uh, Kennedy, Griffin Kennedy, uh, Kari Hildebrand, Megan Behar, um, just really good creative stories. And that's it's kind of a new thing for me. I, I did uh, a fiction that is most of what I've ever written has been nonfiction. It's more kind of reportage or interviews with people. Uh, so this is different for me. I'm excited about that. Uh, the only other fiction that I had, uh, it, it wasn't published. It was produced in this case, was a screenplay that uh, my late wife, and a guy named uh, Peter Torque wrote uh, called Hostage for a Day, and John Candy wound up directing it. It was on a, a Fox movie. So that was uh, kind of fun. Peter Torque from the Monkees? Uh, no, Torque Vey. Oh. Uh, t- <laughs> yeah, T T O R K V E I, I believe. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, but we, we had written it with John in mind. This is while I was working for him. And uh, then I thought, eh, Bobby, hold off. You're not here to try to sell John Candy's script. You're here to work for him. So I didn't do, do anything with that for a while. And then I used to talk to his television agent all the time about, you know, projects he's doing, John. And uh, John had a company, uh, and they were looking for projects. So I thought, hmm. So I sent the script over to his TV agent. He got back to me the next day. We love this. It'd be perfect for John's company. 
And it was television, all the way, television, never a movie. And John wanted to stay with movies. He, he wasn't going to do TV. So I came up with, why don't you direct? And he said, yes, I like that. Kind of, you know, acting like Johnny LaRue from SCTV. <laughs> he loved that. And he directed it. And he had a great time. And he had passed away by the time the film played on Fox television. Or do you have a website? Do you do social media? What are, you, what are you doing? And where do people pick, you know, find you? Like, where does Bob Crane Jr. hang out? You got like Tinder and Grindr? And you've got, like, what's what, what's well, the setup? Uh, I'm, I'm as analog as they get. I mean, I, I have a author page, Robert David Crane, on Amazon. I have a, you know, you know, your own, what do you call it on Facebook, your own file, whatever it is, under Robert Crane, but there's also about 800 other Robert Cranes I noticed. So, um, uh, but there it is. So that's it. That's it. That's yeah. it. Wow. And we should mention, too, for the audience here, you do have a book about your father's case, and then there was also that book by yeah. John Hook, the local uh, reporter here, for people who are interested. Yeah, in my, my book was Crane, Sex, Celebrity, My Father's Unsolved Murder, and uh, John Hook. Who killed got, Bob yes, Crane. Yes, who killed Bob Crane, and I, I happen to write the uh, foreword. Fantastic. Well, of course, what we're going to do is we'll put your books up, and, and so people can find your books, and we'll put your... Uh, Phone number up and tell people. To call you. <laughs> <laughs> and no, no, we'll have all that up so listeners can find your book and maybe more information about you and stuff. And uh, it's always, it's always a, a, a nice talk with you, uh, Bob. You're a great guy, and I, you know, I'm I'm always glad to have uh, you on. Fantastic. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Michael. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This is a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.